0: Welcome, conversations that highlight fascinating ways people are impacting the lives of those who are vulnerable. Impact Conversations with Don Mansky. This Impact Conversation is brought to you by Made for Freedom, the social enterprise with products made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. Made for Freedom is fighting human trafficking with style. Thank you so much for joining us today for another Impact Conversation. Over the past several years, I have been able to attend conferences and be part of different elements in our world where people are doing amazing things to come alongside those who are vulnerable, Um, helping restore survivors, helping prevent exploitation, and those of you who have tuned in previously are probably aware that my husband and I are foster parents, and you may also have heard me talk about how some people refer to the foster system as a breeding ground for human trafficking. We have we have gone through classes and spent hours of training. In fact, this past weekend, we spent a couple hours sitting and reading the slides so that we could be, you know, another level of certification, another qualification to make sure we could be foster parents. Um, so, through that, we have met some amazing people, and we just continue to learn how coming alongside foster kids well helps prevent exploitation. Today, I am thrilled to have Kelly Sullivan joining us. Kelly works as a connection specialist with Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. So, Kelly, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. This <laughs> is a lot
1: of fun. I'm glad to be a part of this?
0: Well, good. It's, it's good to have you. It's, um, like I said, my husband and I have fostered and in, and we haven't been doing this forever. It's not like we know everything about the foster care system or all the pieces involved, but we've been, we've been fostering a little over two years and we do all this training and we've been involved with a lot of professionals. Um, And when we met Kelly, I was thrilled with what she's doing. But this connection specialist and foster care adoptive, foster and adoptive care coalition has some really great things that they're doing. But first, Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you end up in a role like this?
1: Um, Well, I've been working with youth, older youth specifically in foster care, um, since about 2006. And I started out working with um, older youth in what was then called the Aging Out Program uh, for transitional age youth, and also assisting here and there with Chafee Services, which is the older youth uh, component of the foster care system. It's independent living classes, it's training, um, it's trying to help Transitional age youth build those soft skills as well as those life skills they'll need um, to be successful adults. Um, and I really had a passion for that age group. Um, and I came to them because um, I was also in foster care uh, from about birth um, wow. until I turned 18 years old. Wow um, which was a really long time. It's <laughs> about as long as it can go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was a runaway at 17 years old and, um, got news that I had been released from state custody once I turned 18. So, um, yeah. And so I was in a lot of different placements. I uh, dealt with a lot of you know, just kind of abnormal (laughs) um, life situations in terms of how I was raised um, by many, many different people and the system. Um, And then once I was out on my own, you know, I really endured an awful lot and, you know, had to learn a lot of those lessons that young people have to learn. But usually they get to learn them with the support and safety net of a family. And right. so once I, um, you know, college was very, very important to me. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of stories that lead up from being a runaway to getting myself to college and, and getting through that time of my life. Um, lots and lots of little stories and a lot of luck too, frankly, mm-hmm. um, But then once I graduated, I started working with um, older youth in uh, teaching positions. And, um, you know, one day I just thought about Epworth, who was running the Aging Out program, Epworth Children and Family Services. Okay,
0: quick question. So Epworth and Chafee, I'm familiar with them, but we're both in St. Louis. Is that a St. Louis thing or is that a national thing?
1: So Chafee is a federally funded program. Okay. Yeah, and so every state receives Chafee funding, and um, that funding is given to private agencies now, primarily um, that that then implement the services, and um, specifically for older youth. Yes. Okay, And uh, in the St. Louis region, or St. Louis City and St. Louis County, Epworth is the agency that um, implements those services and receives the funding. Gotcha. Okay. So at the time, they had just received their CHAPE contract, um, and they were also doing the Aging Out program. And I had lived at Epworth as a youth in foster care. I lived in their residential program for, I think, about a year and a half. Um, and have fond memories of that oh, place. Nice. So I, you know, sort of out of the blue, decided, you know, let me go ahead and send in my resume and see what happens. And I sent in my resume for something totally different, and then they actually recruited me for their aging out program. And so I did nice. that with them for five years, um, and that led to um, a street outreach position. Uh, So I was working specifically with homeless and runaway youth and learned an awful lot about that age group in a very short amount of time. But also working with the transitional age youth in foster care, so many of them were becoming homeless and going through an awful lot once they aged out of care. So, or were released from custody early. So for me, it was kind of a easy transition Um, because then I could continue to help those same youth, um, and, and learn what services needed to happen. And it helped me to also see what needed to happen, um, previously, or what should have happened or what could have happened previous to their aging out or being released from the system, um, that could have prevented some of the issues that we were seeing once they were out on their own. Um, Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I, um, I've i read different things. I came across something just kind of one of the reasons that my husband and I decided to foster was because Made for Freedom, the company that I started, is focused on fighting human trafficking. Made for Freedom Foundation, which is running impact conversations, is a nonprofit arm of that that is trying to raise awareness and to provide you know, training and life skills, but getting a better understanding of that connection between human trafficking and the foster care system really weighed on both of our hearts, you know, and I I just pulled something up this morning that was, it's talking about 2017 of the 3,570 runaways who were sex trafficked In 2017, the vast majority, 88% were in the care of a foster home or group home when they went missing, you know, and those stats are just appalling and
1: sad, but I I would say that I think, I mean, you know, my experience with older youth is mostly anecdotal you know, I've never added up my numbers specifically, Mm. but um, I believe the numbers that are, that we see in the studies are actually um, under, I think that a lot of sex trafficking and exploitation is underreported, especially because if you are waiting for a young person to um, Mm self-report, many of them do not acknowledge themselves as victims of sex trafficking and exploitation. So I think it's, way more prevalent than what we could ever know with foster youth. Um, There's currently a survey that the federal government began um, several years ago, it's called NYTD, N-Y-T-D. And it's a way to sort of follow Mm -hmm. youth once they're, while they're in custody. So there's a 17 year old survey, a 19 year old survey. I think You know, and then it goes on once they're no longer in custody. And one of those self-reports is whether or not they've been trafficked or exploited or have been homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and I don't actually, I take that back. It's not whether or not they've been trafficked, but it definitely reports homelessness. Mm -hmm. And so many youth, when I was working with street outreach kids, didn't see themselves as homeless. Really? Yeah, as a young person, they don't want to. Homeless means on the street with your sleeping bag and, um, you know, begging for money with the, the sign. old
0: guy that's sleeping there. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: there's kind of an image probably in their head. Yeah. And so they don't identify with that image. So if they are couch hopping, or um, having to stay with a boyfriend Mm. that they wouldn't necessarily have if they were safely housed elsewhere. They don't, they wouldn't count that. Right. Um, So I I think that a lot of the statistics that we hear for homelessness, for trafficking and exploitation, survival sex Mm. um, is vastly underreported. Wow. that And that's,
0: that's so sad. Just the number. no, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard you share some of the stories of kids that you've met. And I just think, oh my goodness, what can we do? So, so with that, though, Tell us, tell us about this role that you do. Like this is this is a role I had never heard of before. And when you told, when you explained what your job was, I was like, "That is so cool! That somebody actually is getting paid to do this." So tell us about this connection job that you have.
1: So my role grew out of uh, the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalitions Program, uh, Thirty Days to Family. So Thirty Days to Family began. Uh, with the idea of when children first come into foster care, let's build their family tree, contact as many relatives as, as we can, and let's find an appropriate placement within the family.
0: Mm.
1: And that program has been so successful. Really. Oh yeah. Nice. It has not only saved the state of Missouri and this has been um, studied um, tons of money, but the outcomes for children and families are huge and so positive. Uh, Children spend less time in foster care. They have fewer traumatic experiences. uh, They have fewer placement providers, you know, and hopping from placement to place. There's not nearly as much of that and their ability to stay connected uh, to loved ones and their communities and their schools and people that they know that know and love them is so much higher.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
1: So it's a really great program and the goal of that program is a safe connected placement within 30 days of them entering the foster care system. So That's great. Yeah, my program grew out of that, and it was my executive director's idea. Her name's Melanie Sheets. Um, she also started 30 Days to Family and Extreme Recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her idea was we want to do a 30, day to fam- 30 Days to Family like program, but with older transitional age foster youth. And the idea was that's too many of our youth are aging out of foster care without. Um, being closely connected to adults, Mm. Um, and we know that having adults and supportive connections um, with that age group can help give them better outcomes once they have left the system, Um, and while they're in the system, you know, if they feel loved, they're going to have better outcomes, period. So, I kind of began with the same premise as 30 Days to Family. I was jumping in, doing a family tree, calling lots of people, and it kind of flopped. What (laughs) happened? Well, you know, first and foremost, with older youth, I forgot like all my lessons with older because I did work with 30 days to family for a few years. So mm-hmm. I got really good at that investigation, finding people, making those cold calls, building those family trees. It was a really great job. Um, I jumped in with the same ideas and I forgot like, oh yeah, older youth want say in their life. Ah. Yeah. So I slowly kind of dialed it back a little bit. And I said to youth, what, who do you want me to contact? I, I started building, because I can build a pretty large family tree without talking to anybody, right. um, just through investigations. Um, and so I'll bring them their family tree and I'll say, what, what do you want? This is this is your family. These are your people. What is it that you are would like to have happen? Um, and I let them make those initial goals. So that started going a lot better. And it was a lot of fun having that youth um, buy in and them creating their own goals. But then I noticed that something else was kind of missing. Um, you know, and, and in terms of, I think about the five domains of well being mm. um, in this. And so social connectedness is one of those domains of well being. So that was always my focus but then if one of the other domains of well-being was being was was lacking and was not full then you can't necessarily have one domain a, a use domain and social connectedness is very healthy and full if all the other domains are lacking so okay. of the five domains there's mastery safety stability meaningful access to relevant resources and social connectedness. So I found that when I was also paying attention to the other domains and helping to fill them simultaneously, that it it impacted the, the strength of those social connections in the end. So while social connections is still my priority, and it's still what I want my outcome to be, um, I have to I have to pay attention to those to all parts of a youth life and look at them as a whole person and try to help build up those other domains as possible. Um, And it's hard. It's not
0: easy. Yeah. yeah. You're talking youth. I we have yeah. a couple youth and they they don't really, they're not exactly the first ones to jump in line and say, oh, could you give me some
1: advice, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Much more of the opposite. Well, um, and the way I see that is, you know, so developmentally that's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a kid that has not has had trauma and has not had needs met so often in the past. Um, you know, they're not gonna ask, they're not gonna take they've it. had yeah, they've they had to
0: a- they've had to fight a lot and they're in that fight or flight. They're not in a learning mode at all. And I've yeah, just studying some about trauma it helped me understand my kids so much more. I'm like, oh, that's part of it is, you know, we all want to think that we know everything, but there's that other part of, wow, the experiences that these kids have been through have caused them to shut, you know, just build this wall and say, I can handle it myself because they've had to handle so many things themselves. Yes. So it just makes it more difficult for them to accept advice, accept
1: ideas (laughs) Um, but, and so much yeah. of my program is brain-based. Um, so I've studied quite a bit, um, a lot on trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had probably hundreds of hours of trauma trainings. Um, but also, um, I have the last couple of years been studying, uh, dyadic developmental psychotherapy uh, which is heavily brain-based and chemical-based, and that has also helped me to understand better how to work with youth and relatives and families and social connections and all of that, um, and so I I switched from being primarily just focused on the youth to focusing also on all of the people who love that youth, mm. um, and so I found that that is actually probably the most helpful um, in terms of st- helping a youth strengthen those connections is, you know, looking at the whole group, the whole, you know, so that youth is, the, I, I've said for years, youth don't live in a silo, you know, they don't right. exist within a silo. Um, but then I wasn't necessarily doing anything about that. <laughs> and so once I brought in the community and and team, and foster parents, and relatives, and everybody involved, that started to make the most difference. Um, That's great. I, I think. Yeah. So I'm still far away from being, you know, it being perfect. I'm still learning every day, and every day I'm trying to figure out what I could have done differently, or also looking closely at my own blocked care. What do I have in my brain from my past that's keeping me from being able to fully support or fully be present? Um, and that's something I'm always looking at and always um, kind of picking apart, but that's necessary for any anybody that, if you've ever been hurt in your life, <laughs> right which is everybody right we have to think about like how our experiences are impacting our current relationships so my own work is part of the work that i do with everybody else
0: right yeah that's what an amazing journey though that you know you you learned so much because of your personal experience not that that was your choice not that that would have been your preference but the the fact that you are now able to come alongside youth and and just better understand them, but mm-hmm. what are what are some of the things that you have seen that are very you know you you basically spent your youth in foster care? Um, what are some differences that you're seeing with kids that are in the system now?
1: Well, you know, there's so much. Um... One thing that happened in the mid 90, 90s was the implementation of ASPA, Adoption and Safe Families Act. Um, that was that law was put in place to put time limits on how long a youth should be in foster care. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we are not actually there completely. Um, but it really sort of made the case that the system is not good at raising kids in foster care and children should not linger indefinitely without a plan, a clear plan of what is going to happen during their stay in foster care. So for me, as an example, uh, if I had been in foster care for a year and a half, you know, I was an 18 month old. And neither of my parents were making progress <clears throat> with uh, with getting me back, with, you know, uh, mm-hmm. reunification. Right. Then the courts and my team and everybody would have decided, do we want to proceed with termination of parental rights? Because Kelly living in foster care indefinitely is just not okay. Right. And so at that point, they would start to look at other plans like uh, adoption or guardianship, things like that. And actually one thing that ASPA did was um, put in place co-occurring plans so that mm. it's reunification and guardianship, reunification and adoption. So like option A and if it's like option B,
0: if option A doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Technically because they're co-occurring, Occurring, um, teams are supposed to be working those plans simultaneously. Um, that's hard for people to do, mm. and especially when feelings are involved. So if I'm a parent with a child in foster care and my team continually talks about the current co-occurring plan of adoption, um, that's going to impact me as the mother doing everything I can. You know, I mean, it could It can Mm -hmm. make it feel like they're against me, you know? And so there's a lot of human aspects at play with those current co-occurring plans. And that's the funny thing about all um, child welfare and family welfare laws and rules and procedures is that when it comes down to it, it's human beings working with other human beings. And so there's some of that stuff that is a little bit more flexible. And it doesn't always happen like it's supposed to, because you have a mom that's like doing everything right, but she still can't get housing. Right. You know, so, so then that law of 18, technically 18 out of 22 months. So, you know, say her kids are, have been in care for 22 months. She's amazing just doing everything right, but having, can't find housing. Then is the team going to move forward with termination of parental rights? Right. Probably not. Right. Um, You know, but they're going to be looking at like, what do we need to do to help mom get kids back? So I do think that ASPA uh, really changed the way foster care was handled. Um, If I had been a child uh, that had come into foster care during the, after that time period, um, I would not have, been in foster care for 18 years right it would not have happened so that's a big thing
0: well and there and I don't know when this was do you you may have lived through this but from what I hear they were they were concerned that kids in the system would develop a relationship that was too close. They would get too involved in their caregivers or too, too involved with their caregivers, and they didn't want that to hurt the child. So they would remove the child and give them to a new caregiver, which actually was hurting the child because they kept moving them and bouncing them all over the place. You know, because you hear stories of people who were with 27 foster families, and it's like, what in the world? So, yeah. when that were you, was that part of your own, no. okay. do you know what I'm talking about, though? because they I were they do. were they were removing kids because they didn't want that relationship, that bond. However, like now that we know more about healthy relationships and bonds, and <laughs> if it's a healthy relationship, it's a healthy relationship, and it's a good thing, no matter what,
1: yeah. We want kids now, especially. I mean, the other thing that happened um, that not only helped the foster care system, but helped the world was the ACE study, Um, adverse childhood effects study, and helped us to understand what trauma was and what it did to our brains and how it affected development. Developmental trauma is not in the DSM yet, but it sounds like from things I've read that it's Working toward being in the DSM, I really believe it makes a lot of sense. Okay, Kelly, what's a DSM? Oh, uh, that's the that's the big diagnostic manual that uh, clinicians use. Uh, okay, it, it's sort of our, our diagnostic manual. So, for example, if you know any um, developmental and uh, behavioral health diagnosis are all in that. And so for autism spectrum disorder, as an example, it lists all the different, um, uh, uh, what you call it, um, symptoms, what it could be like and how clinicians need to be thinking about uh, and what diagnostic tools they need to be thinking about. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so it's sort of like if if it's not in the DSM, it doesn't exist. Um, and trauma is not in there. Trauma, well, let's see, PTSD is okay. in there. Okay. But but what we know is like complex trauma or developmental trauma is not. I don't think. Well, I know developmental trauma is. I don't think complex trauma is. So right now, I think the DSM still only recognizes PTSD. So, but that does not adequately um, describe the type of complex and chronic trauma that children and youth can suffer from. Uh, PTSD, you know, describes a little bit more of like, um, major incidents or events.
0: Not the ongoing everyday, you know, in day in, day out fear of what's walking through the door.
1: Right. Yes. And, and also how, um, you know, there's a difference in how really scary things affect a two-year-old. Right. And a 14-year-old versus someone my age. Right. um and that's why right now there's a lot of videos out there from Bruce Perry, Dan Siegel, uh Dan Hughes about these are all like my heroes. <laughs> okay. Um Wait, say that again. They're my heroes. They're my I love them all. I <laughs> I I study under them, but not really. I just watch other videos from from a distance. <laughs> Um, about how we can support children and youth, especially those that have already suffered trauma through the COVID nineteen era, and what and how we can support them, and what is possibly happening with their brains, and possibly what's happening with their behaviors, and how how it's going to be affecting them, um, because the way these things affect children and that developing brain. Is just different with how it's going to affect an adult. Right. So, so, you know, the learning about trauma and trauma-based programs, trauma-responsive programs, all of that since about 2006 has really changed how we work with older youth and children and families in foster care. So, you know, there was a little bit of that stigma. Oh, no, I take that back. There's still definitely a stigma for children, for parents who have lost their children, mm-hmm. whose par- parents who have children in the foster care system. Um, but now professionals will recognize that, um, that parent likely had trauma in their early years that is affecting their ability to cope, maintain and survive, which then affects their children. And so we're kind of working with them in a slightly different way with less judgment and giving them a little bit more what they need in order to pull themselves together and be better parents. So that's another way that, you know, the system has changed um, for older youth and, and children.
0: That is awesome. I, we've, we've experienced um, parents that have lost their kids into the system. And, and our biggest, one of our biggest questions is who's coming alongside them? Yes, the goal is reunification. The goal is for them to become a better parent, but who's helping them do that. And, you know, some of the cases that we have seen, it does, you know, there's a checklist. Oh, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? But it's like, Does this person, does this parent even know they should be doing certain things? And so it's just, it's just hard, but it's good to hear that some of those changes are being implemented.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the changes that I um, am most proud of with Mm. the system is the support of foster and adoptive families. So it probably doesn't feel like it. You probably feel as a foster parent that you're just on your own a lot of the time. And I get that. Um, but I promise it's come a long way.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we've actually, we've had two very different experiences. We've had one situation with, with a couple kids coming from a particular agency that has been a nightmare. Like, battle and fight and deception. And we feel like, we feel like we are fighting with the people who are supposed to be on our team. I mean, when you go through training, you know, you go through 13 weeks of training just to get the certification and, and they're like, oh, and there's a team of people and they come around and everybody's looking out for the kids' best interest. And, and, oh my goodness, we spent two years and that was not even close to reality. But then we have another situation then we had another foster kid come into our family very different situation and i'm like oh this is what it's supposed to be like this is actually a team of people and all and we communicate well and we you can tell all of the people sitting around this table care about this kid and so i've seen how it's supposed to work and i've seen a- mm. I would say, may, not the worst side. I have not seen the worst side. I know that I know that they're. I know that the system is overwhelmed, and I know that nobody's perfect. But and I know that from what I've been told, we are at least with this particular agency. We are not the. We are not like the other foster parents, and we are not typical foster parents. And some of the professionals don't know what to do with us. They're like, why do you care so much? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I will be in your face until, <laughs> until you know, what is, what is actually helpful for this kid? Um, but it, it's lovely when those pieces come together and actually work and cooperate together for the kid's best interest.
1: And it if we had that from day one mm. for each kid in the foster care system, I don't think my job would be necessary. Uh, yeah i you know i I want to be out of a job. Mm. I know that sounds so, but there you know i'm I'm coming in um pulling pieces together, trying to look really deeply and closely at a youth's life to see what what was missed, what was left, because there were so many case managers, what was, what domain was ignored um, and looking at that closely. And I kind of see it like, you know, I have three kids uh, that are 17, 20 and 22 and boy, I am just all up in their business yeah. And I have been, um, since they were born and I'm that person, I'm their record keeper. I'm their, um, support. I'm the person that can like talk about that surgery that they had 10 years ago and why they had it. Or that one time that we went to the emergency room because they got their fingers smashed in the door and the doctor looked at us, look, looked at me like I was dumb because, I really didn't need to bring them in for that, but I did anyway (laughs) because I was a scary parent and I can recall those stories and all that is part of our development and it's part of their development. It's part of their identity. It's part of who they are. And we miss so much of that for children in foster care. So if we had that team like that you described that could come in and really look at this kiddo as a whole person and communicate just like you know a family does, how a family comes together and supports and surrounds a child, um, that happened more often for our kids, and I don't think I would be a necessary component to our system.: Wouldn't that be nice i hope I hope that I lose my job one day. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, it would be nice if if foster parents weren't needed either, you know.
1: Oh, uh, Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean,
0: if, you know, there there are a lot of a lot of things that are broken, um, but but thank you, thank you for what you do. I mean, it's that's such an incri- its an incredible thing to hear about how your organization has really adapted and seen what kids need, and and just kind of continues to evolve with new roles and new positions and new programs to come alongside them and so thank you thank you for your time today
1: but um, oh yeah well and thanks for what you do too I mean I I I, don't talk too much because then I cry (laughs) I know I know foster parents I know it's tough it is and um yeah it's it's a tough job uh so I do really try to support my foster parents, because um, without them, where would our kiddos be? They'd be moved. They'd be,
0: you in know, in street. rougher
1: places. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, thank you. It's, um, I love,
0: I love the different things that we're learning and the way the system's growing. And I would love to see, I would love to see a lot of a lot more people like you, and uh, just continuing to come alongside these kids that are so vulnerable and and just need that secure foundation. But Kelly, it has it has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing just some of some of what you've learned, some of the some of the difficulty that has allowed you to understand kids in the situation so well. Anyway, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time.
1: Oh yeah, thanks for having me. And it's always nice talking to you.
0: <laughs> you you as is. well. Well, thank you. It's, this has been insightful. You. If you are interested in hearing more impact conversations, click on the link below and you can nominate someone who you think might be a good future guest. We, uh, we encourage you to subscribe follow us on facebook if you would like to help continue and help see these continue you can always donate to made for freedom foundation to help keep these going but thank you for attending today thank you for joining us and continue looking around your world and seeing where you can make a positive impact as well Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for another Impact Conversation.